What do you think when you hear these words? Wearisome. Lethargic. Isolated. Hollow. Deflated. I would have never uh, before used these words to talk about what we do as a church. To talk about worship. But these are the type of words that myself and our staff and our elders all use to describe what online services feel like now. And maybe you feel that way too. Before we get back into our study in the book of Acts, we want to take a week to understand why this is happening. What I've begun to experience myself and see from God's word is worship at a distance. Worship at a distance can make church feel dull. We're trying to do it in separate spaces what God has designed in its essence to be experienced together. Today through Psalm 84, I want to take time to explain why. That why theologically speaking, feeling this way while we're doing this type of thing is not abnormal. I want to explain why it's okay to feel this way. And importantly, I want to explain what we can do through it. So together, let's read the scriptures. This is God's word. It speaks to us today, and this is what it says. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home. And the swallow finds a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise, Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. In musical theater, the overture is the first piece of music that you hear before the musical begins. The actors aren't on stage yet, the lights are just dimming, and the music that's playing is sampling music from songs that they're about to play throughout the duration of the musical. And in playing samples of those songs, it begins to prepare you 
for the musical to begin and to invite you into the themes and the feeling that you're going to experience through the musical. Several times throughout the year, uh, year, the people of Israel took a pilgrimage from their homes, wherever they were in Israel, to journey towards Jerusalem and climb the mountain Zion to go to the temple to worship God. Psalm 84 is a pilgrimage overture. It was written to prepare them for their journey with anticipation that they would be together to worship God. It's a beloved passage by a lot of people. In a manner, Christians are pilgrim worshipers too. Week by week, when we are able to, we leave our homes together to come to the same space. And our whole life is a pilgrimage. Our whole life is a journey of repentance, turning away from our old self and our old ways to follow the new way of Jesus as we journey on to our destination of the kingdom of God. Today I want to be able to show us the six blessings of worship together, but the three reasons why worship at a distance makes church feel dull. Verse 1 to 4 show the first two blessings that we experience when pilgrims worship together. Worship together fills us with joy and peace. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Solomon's temple that he built in Jerusalem was a marvel to the ancient world. Kings and queens from across the land came together to see this building. But it wasn't just to gawk at the world-class architecture, the expertly crafted metallurgy, the beautifully woven textiles, or the artistic beautiful performances, all of which were there. No the joy of worshiping together that attracted the watching world is the same joy that we have today. Worshiping together is the place where God chooses to manifest his presence with his people. Now we know what you're thinking. I thought you're thinking, wait, I thought Christians are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And we are. That's true. Each Christian, having believed in Jesus, is the dwelling place for God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yet, there is a sense, a true sense, of God's manifest presence that can only be experienced when we are together. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22 says this, It says, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you, that's a plural you, all of us, in him, we are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So yes, God is 
omnipresent, we can never run from his presence. Yes, we are the dwelling place of God individually, but there is a way that the awe-inspiring, life-changing, joy-filling presence of God is only manifested when his people are together. As I say this to a red dot on a steel tripod and a camera. Worship together fills us with joy, but it also fills us with peace. When you walk through downtown and you see skyscrapers and big buildings, um, you see a lot of pigeons. And a friend of mine likes to call those the rats of the sky. And to deter these pests from building nests or laying their droppings, you'll often see little spikes on any flat surfaces deterring them from coming and sitting on there. Evidently, they didn't care about that at the Temple of Jerusalem. Pilgrims would come only a few times a year. Yet the pilgrims remember that even the birds lay nests there and their little chirps are themselves singing praises to God. Pilgrims would only come a few times a year. Yet the birds that made their nests in the nook and the crannies of the temple, they got to be there all year round. I think of a family at an amusement park. And Parents know it's time to go, but kids want to stay. And you know, parents, you're going to hear it one last time. Just one last time. And five last times later, <laughs> the family, family leaves the amusement park. But even parents, you still want to say, but you know you have to go. I can imagine a family who was so excited to come to the temple for the festival and so enjoyed their time there, but knew the festival is over, it's time to go home. And I can imagine them leaving but not wanting to and then on their way out hearing the chirping of birds and looking up as they're about to leave and say, lucky, I gotta go. But you little birdie, you get to sing your little chirps of worship here all year round. Lucky. The birds made their home in the temple. And when you experience together the presence of God as the people of God, we know this is where we belong. Worshiping together is a joy because we have God's manifest presence together. Worshiping together gives peace because we know this is where God made us to be. But worshiping together at a distance can feel dull. Because it strips us away of our sense of home. And it makes us feel spiritually homesick. Out of love for neighbor, uh, we are humbly choosing as we should to submit to our government leaders. A facility is not the home of a church. Our homeliness is our togetherness. But because we're forced to worship at a distance, it feels like the family of faith has been locked out of its own house because we can't be together. I can't imagine how, how much more spiritually homesick you might feel if you live alone in a condo or an apartment. 
I can't imagine how much lonely and homesick you would feel if you're the only Christian in your family. And if that's you, we are praying for you. But I want you to know that it's okay to feel weary. It's okay that the joy that you normally have when you'd normally be here with me is not the same. There is a way that we can learn to worship differently during this time. And we'll get to that at the end of the sermon. But for now, let me show you the next two blessings that worshiping together fills us with. Verse 5 to verse 7 shows us that worshiping together fills us with strength and with hope. Verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. A pilgrimage was not an easy journey. Rough terrain, harsh weather, young children made a lot of things different, uh, difficult. But the Jews were obligated to do it. The law of Moses obligated them to take the pilgrimage to Zion a few times a year. Zion was the mountain where the temple was. But though it was an obligation, they didn't feel it was an empty duty. Because even though they were obligated to go three times a year, and they only had to walk those highways three, three or four times a year, the highways to Zion were in their heart throughout the whole year. It wasn't just a duty. It was a devotion. So when they went, no matter what the terrain, no matter what the weather, no matter how hard the kids were, they, they, their strength was in their heart's desire that they wanted to be together with the people of God in the presence of God. Their heart's desire gave them increasing, ever-increasing strength no matter what the difficulty. Not only did they have strength, but they had hope too. I wonder, do you remember a time, maybe that time's right now, do you remember a time when you would say that you felt spiritually dry. We all can. Notice how it says that they go through the valleys of Baca. They make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. The valley of Baca uh, refers to a dry desert where there is no water. There may have been places in their pilgrimage where they had to walk through desert lands like this. But it's likely that the Valley of Baca isn't referring to an actual place, but a metaphorical one. All Christian worshipers go through valleys of dryness in their walk with Christ. The psalmist is saying, that faithful pilgrims who love God's people and want to be in God's presence, they can still experience spiritual dryness. I can. We all can. But our hope is that the desert, not that we go through the desert, not that we just make it out, but that the desert becomes an oasis. It says, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The desert becomes an oasis. That's our hope. How? How can that happen? It won't happen if you stop in the valley. And that's the temptation 
of spiritual dryness. That you feel that something's wrong with you and that because something's wrong with you, you're wondering if you should keep going anymore. So you just stop. You stop abiding with Christ in daily scripture reading and meditation. You stop participating in godly fellowship through small group. You stop hearing God's word preached. The hope of times of refreshing can come. But it's not abnormal to feel the dry valley. The hope of times of refreshing come as you journey through the valley, not by stopping in the valley. And this time right now, though, a lot of us are feeling spiritually dry. A lot of us feel the temptation to quit. Our strength feel robbed. Our hope can feel out of reach. And it feels this way because we can't see the destination. We don't know how long we're going to be in this dry valley for. When are, we don't know when we're going to be able to be together again. We don't know when physical distancing will end. But the, the, the pilgrims, they could make it through because they know there was a destination. They could obey even when they didn't feel it because they know there was an end point. But right now, because we can't feel the end point, I understand why it feels easier to give up rather than keep carrying on. It's because we feel lost. It's not surprising that we feel like passing on online services or skipping small groups. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it's okay to feel that way because things are not the way they're supposed to be. And you know what? Some of us feel like it's worse than a valley of dryness. Some of us feel like Psalm 23, we're in the valley of the shadow of death. But wherever we are, we have a good shepherd. And Psalm 23 says that even through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. God is with you now. Don't give up now. Faith is believing the word of God and acting on what it says no matter what I feel, trusting that there's a good result. Seasons of dryness aren't, don't mean that you're a bad Christian. It means that you're a normal Christian. Don't give up in the valley. You may feel lost, but your good shepherd is with you. Lord willing, we know there will be a time when we're back together again. And when that day comes together, it will be great. We will experience joy and peace, strength and hope in the fullness of how God enables us to. We'll also experience grace and goodness. These are the final two blessings that we learn from verse 10 to verse 12, or verse 9, 8 to verse 12, excuse me. Notice in verse 8, it sounds like he all of a sudden, he jumps into this prayer from looking what's around him to looking up. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. Worshiping together fills us with grace and goodness. That's what it says in verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor on honor. No good thing does he withhold. This is the grace, favor, this is the goodness. 
And it's the Lord who gives these things. But the psalmist prays for the anointed. Who's this person he's talking about? Well, it's likely the king of Israel. Yes, it's the Lord who gives grace. It's the Lord who gives goodness. But it's goodness and grace to the people is available because they're in, God is in covenant relationship with the people of God. As they follow his way, he continually extends his grace and his goodness. And even when they don't, God is still gracious and God is still good. And the person, the anointed that he's praying for is likely the king of Israel. The king is God's representative to the people, to lead the people, to be an example to the people of what it looks like to live in covenant relationship with God. So what do they receive through this grace and goodness? Grace Grace is a term that describes the various innumerable ways that God shows us his kindness. And they would know God's grace as pilgrims when they reached God's temple because of the gracious sacrifices that were given. Because they were all covenant breakers. They were all lawbreakers. They were all sinners, just like we are. But the grace of the sacrifices offered were confidence that their sin was forgiven, their shame was covered, and they were loved by God. Goodness, on the other hand, is the practical benefit that God provided to aid their livelihood. Often these pilgrimages came at times of harvest festival, when there would be, uh, they would bring in crop from the field. And after they brought in the crop from the field and they prepared to go on the pilgrimage, they brought the first fruits of the crop to the uh, temple to offer it as a sacrifice to God, believing that we have this because you gave it to us. This good that sustains our life is from you, God, so we're giving a portion of it back. Grace and goodness. The priests made the sacrifice for their sins. The kings were the example of God's way. And for Christian pilgrims, we can receive God's grace and goodness because we have a priest and we have a king. And it's one and the same person, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. You have the grace of forgiveness and relationship with God because as priest, Jesus offered his own life as a sacrifice for sins. You can know the good way to follow God and enjoy his goodness because King Jesus is the example of how we should live and we can know the way we should follow when we follow him. And when we gather together, we worship God through specific acts of remembering his grace and goodness. Communion, which we have not done in so long, is an act of remembering God's grace. A cup and the bread remembering the sacrifice that was made. Financial offerings are acts that celebrate the goodness of God, knowing that every nickel I have in my bank account is from him, so I will give back to him in gratitude for what he has given to me. And as an encouragement church, I would tell you that we see the faithfulness of the church worshiping in giving through this time. It is a hard time for many. But by the grace of God, last week, our year-to-date giving was 99% of our budgeted need. We give thanks to the Lord. 
and all of this, not to us, but to his name be glory. So glad to see the people of God worshiping God by giving back to God in a times of challenge. Glory to God. But while we're at a distance, we've decided that we will not observe the act of communion. While we respect that other churches make different decisions, uh, we believe communion should be observed together. So we have decided to abstain from it during this time. And I miss being together to be able to do this with you. It can make us feel dull. It can make us miss the full grace and goodness that we can experience when we are together. A day in your courts are better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper of the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. But right now, as of June 5th, we have spent 84 days not in the house of God with the people of God. And worship can feel dull, like we're missing the grace and goodness of being together, because when we're distanced, we feel trapped. You're not the only one that feels trapped. You're not the only one that feels lost. You're not the only one that feels homesick. But you are feeling it right now. You're not alone. Some of you are experiencing it in unique ways that others aren't. You really feel like you're in a tent of wickedness because of the way that you're having strife in your marriage. You really feel like you're in a tent of wickedness because of the way that you're fearful of another family member. You really feel like you're in a tent of wickedness because you don't know how to operate in a home where you're the only Christian. And if this is where we, you are, you're not alone. Others are feeling this way, and your church is ready to serve you. If you feel this way, please reach out to us so we can care for you. You're not alone. We all feel in different ways that online church is kind of dull. It's not the way it's supposed to be. We feel homesick. We feel lost. We feel trapped. We could have joy and peace. We could have strength and hope. We could have grace and goodness. But we're not together. We're at a distance. We've spent many days elsewhere. But there is something we can do about it. I'm not interested in sitting in a holding pattern. There is a way that we can change our perspective and even through this, still offer to God the worship he is due. Because that's the thing about worship. Change your mind and, and stop thinking that what happens at church is primarily for us and what we need. That's a byproduct. Worship and gathering together is primarily about who God is and how we glorify him. We first seek up to look to him and he then also blesses us. It's not first about us though. So if this is the way things are now and worship is primarily first about him and not about us, how can we better worship in a way that recognizes the uniqueness of this time? And the dullness of this time. Hope Markham, we need to start learning to worship like exiles. A time came in Israel's history where the Lord shut his own people out from the temple. The doors didn't close, the walls came down in fire. 
They weren't faithful to the covenant. They started worshiping false gods. The kings were bad examples. The priests were corrupt and acted to get bribes. It was wretched. And in judgment and in love, the Lord allowed a foreign country to invade, raise the temple to the ground, and take his chosen beloved children off into the foreign land of Babylon. And when they were in Babylon, worship was dull. Psalm 137 says, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung our lyres, for there our captors required songs of us, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? This is why online church feels dull. This is not how it's supposed to be. How can we sing the songs of a congregation when I'm sitting alone in my living room? We're homesick, we're lost, we're trapped. But that doesn't mean that we can't worship God in this exile-like time. See, when God, people sent off, uh, God sent his people off in exile, he sent a prophet. If a priest is one who advocates for the people for the sins to be forgiven, and a king represents God to the people and judges the way they should live, the prophet speaks for God to the people. And the prophet Jeremiah wrote a letter to the exiles in Jeremiah 29. And he said this, verse 11 to 13. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me. And come and pray to me. And I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, and I will be found by you. We need to learn to worship as exiles. So you might be sitting on your living room couch by yourself. And it might be hard to be able to manage your kids as well. When we seek him with all of our heart, we can find him. So it's time for us to learn to worship like exiles. And I think that means three things. Number one, stop trying to pretend it's normal. It's not. Maybe it's just time we look around and finally admit, Toto, we are not in Kansas anymore. You don't need to say fine when your small group leader asks you and you're clearly not. Small group leaders... You don't need to feel guilty if group talk feels more superficial than you want it to be. It can. You don't need to feel weary or upset if you find yourself scrolling through social media in one phone while the service is on in the laptop. Stop pretending. It's not what it's supposed to be. But then, recognize that exile is not an ordinary time. 
And recognizing that it's not an ordinary time, we need to embrace extraordinary measures for worship. We see that in the exiles themselves. They instituted uh, new times of the year for fasting and praying that weren't necessarily prescribed before. Daniel, the exile, we see that when he was in exile, the prophet Daniel went to his window and knelt to pray three times a day. Maybe extraordinary measures means for you that you practice prayer three times a day like Daniel. Maybe even though you're a tough guy and don't like to show that you're not feeling good, you actually process your emotions by journaling and admit that it's not what it's supposed to be. Whatever it means, and it can mean many things, it means that we must seek the Lord with our whole heart, even when we don't feel like it. We're in the valley of Baca right now. Don't stop. Keep going on the journey. Finally, worshiping like an exile means pressing on. We are having active dialogue in consultation with other churches and with the government right now about what reopening looks like. We don't know when that it's going to happen, but by the grace of God, we're planning. But when it's done, we're still going to be in exile. Because even when we meet together, we are only one small expression of the larger church whom we will all be together with in the kingdom when Christ comes back. Even when we come back together in this room, we still won't be home. We still be waiting for our true home. So press on, exiles. Press on, pilgrims. Worship can feel dull, but let's seek him with all of our hearts.